This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Again, you guys, wow, I'm so excited to be back. We are doing amazing. Can't believe the amount of support that we're getting and how many people are listening this quickly. Uh, If you haven't, make sure you go out and share it with a friend so we can get this message out to even more people. I want to share a review from LitMats, informative and engaging. Great podcast. I'm not even in the real estate space, but there's still a ton of great takeaways and best practices for me to employ in my day-to-day life. I definitely recommend it. Give it a listen. Thanks, LitMats, and thank you for the review and the support. And uh, thank you, everybody who's been sharing with their friends. So let's jump into this next episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm really excited today. I'm here with Mark Kenny of Think Multifamily. Hey, Mark. Hey, Stephen. How you doing? I am doing well. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Um, Mark is a seasoned multifamily real estate investor, coach, speaker, two-time best-selling author, and he founded Think Multifamily, a mastermind and coaching company that buys apartment buildings. Uh, Mark started his investing career over 20 years ago when he was doing it as a side hustle, running an IT company, working 70, 80 hours a week, doing the corporate grind, just like so many of us have done. And uh, luckily, he escaped that world. And he's, uh, he purchased over 4,000 units in the past couple of years in five different markets. And uh, now he focuses on helping other people go big in apartment investing. Really excited to have you here, Mark. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I appreciate it. Awesome. So, you're obviously pretty successful. 4,000 units is things is a number that people don't really think is possible. But if we take a look back, you know, back to your childhood, um, mm-hmm. what are some influences or events from your childhood that shaped who you are today? Oh, yeah, it could be a long one. Um, but, you know, I was one of seven kids, identical twin brother. Uh, my dad worked his butt off. He was a firefighter, plus uh, worked at a lumber yard. So he was gone sometimes up to 100 hours a week working, literally. Wow. And, uh, because of 24 hours shifts for the firefighters and things like that. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't out buying stuff for himself. We had food, we had a place to live, which is more than a lot of people in, in the world, uh, truthfully, but we didn't have anything else. You know, by the time I was 10 years old, I was buying my own bicycle, um, buying my own clothes, own shoes, uh, you know, things like that. I remember as a running back and I didn't, you know, I didn't have money for cleats. So I was wearing tennis shoes as a running back. I mean, just, you know, <laughs> you know I'm like, wow. okay. Um, so my brother and I were the youngest of the seven. We're like, man, this kind of sucks actually, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, maybe we should look at doing something different than what everyone else we knew was doing. We, we were a small town. Yeah. So um, we always said we're going to start a business together and things like that. Didn't really know what it was going to be. And then when I was a senior in college, this has been about 26 years ago. And now uh, we said, well, we were both kind of analytical. We were going for accounting. We said, everyone needs a place to live. We, we always loved real estate. So why don't we look at buying, you know, two to four unit type properties, which we're looking at and didn't know about syndication, about raising money from other people or anything like that. And then we made an offer. Uh, Go ahead. So, so I have a question here, Mark, before we get into that, um, when you were growing up and you were in that environment where it sounded like there's a lot of kids, a lot of mouths to feed, dad's working extremely hard. Like, what did you take away from that? It sounded like you ended up 
going down a similar path and then you 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 left that path? Yeah. My I definitely, you know, growing up, I mean, it has a bigger influence than you want to sometimes. I mean, my dad um, was, you know, great guy, loved us, things like that. But uh, my, I thought my job was basically to provide for the family. So mm-hmm. number one priority, provide for the family. I had a, a significant fear of money mm-hmm. and not having enough money um, through my entire life and, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and less so now, but even so sometimes now. I will. And that was a huge impact on me. And I said, you know, mom, my mom always said, Hey, don't necessarily do something you like, do something that's going to pay you well, <laughs> which is contrary to what most parents would say. Wow. Um, because she saw it too. You know, we, we struggled a lot as, as kids and, uh, and it was just one of those things where it was a struggle for me, struggle for other kids, you know, in the, in the family. Um, I liked things, not a lot, but I liked cars and things like that. Mm-hmm. I always liked architecture and I saw all the people that we grew up with that had, you know, frankly, a lot more than we did. Um, you know, we we just didn't have many things, and we worked ourselves too. But there's no doubt, mindset-wise, it was, hey, as a father and as a, a husband, my number one priority is to provide for the family uh, financially. That was what I thought growing up. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense. I mean, you were really following in the footsteps of your dad, and that's what he did for you guys. So That's when right. you first when you first got into real estate, you were just about to tell us a little story there. Um, did you just jump right into buying apartment buildings? Uh, we were looking at, I don't know why we didn't look at single family. We looked at two to four units. That's what our focus was. And I'm, I don't really know why necessarily. I guess we thought it was better than buying one, one unit. Um, and we looked at a lot of properties. Again, we were like 22 years old, senior in college. Made an offer on a couple of properties. We got a property when we were still in college and um, pretty excited. And I remember sitting at a restaurant at Hardee's. This is 26 years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember where I, was, where I was sitting, time of day, what it was going on outside with my dad. And my dad said, I don't think you should do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I backed out of the contract, well, which I felt horrible about. But my dad was trying think- to protect me. Yeah, why do you think he? Mm-hmm. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he said that? You know, he's eighty-two now. He's never bought a property himself, other than you know personal residence. I think it was just a, the fear factor of hey, you're going to be potentially brought, buying something, and you're gonna you don't know what's going to happen in the market. You don't know whether you can get it rented out and, and things like that. So it was definitely a, a lack of knowledge on his part and mine. Uh, truthfully at the time, mm-hmm. but I definitely respected his opinion and, but for not, not for long, about two months later, we got another mm-hmm. deal and didn't tell my dad, we closed on the deal literally. And then tell my dad afterwards that we closed on the deal. That's how we got our first deal. That makes so much sense. So what's the lesson that you took away from listening to him, which, which had you almost run away from that deal. And then you obviously took a lesson away and, and went and did it on your own. My biggest thing is even though people care about you and love you, they're not necessarily the people you should be listening to. You need to listen to somebody that actually has done what you want to do before, has the experience and background, and that's going to be more valuable to you from a, from a business perspective. I, I couldn't agree more. I think this gets overlooked a lot because people are, you know, they're hesitant to say, hey, don't listen to your parents or your loved ones. Um, because frankly, they love you and they want, they want the best for you, but they're living within the belief system that they have, which is keeping them exactly where they are. And it's scary to think of going out and doing something different. And so, you know, in your, in your father's mind, I would, you know, hypothesize that for him, uh, you know, 
he believed that there was all this risk and that there, the upside was just not there. And if we were going to just, you know, that works well for him, but in order to kind of move to the next level, you need to go and find mentors, you know, kind of like you with so many people who have done it and kind of gone down that path. So you can say, Hey, well, if he can do it, I can do it. You change that belief. That's right. That's exactly right. So tell us uh, from a background perspective, a little bit about what your primary focus is today. Where do you spend, you know, most of your time? From an asset class, we do 100% multifamily, so apartments. And we, you know, we still buy deals. We we did uh, like six deals this first quarter of 2019, did a lot of deals last year. So we're still able to find deals through broker relationships. Uh, I don't spend much time, I don't spend any time necessarily just analyzing regular deals. It's Brokers reach out to us with with deals that they think may be of interest uh, to us, which is uh, significantly saved time on the amount of you know effort we put into analyzing deals. So it's great. And then we do we have events that we put on multiple times a year, and then we have one on one coaching students in the group as well that we help get deals, and we'll partner with them on different deals as well if it makes sense as far as raising capital and balance sheet and things like that. But hundred percent, you know, um, I. I don't do any IT anymore. You mentioned a little bit. I did that for, for a long time. But it's 100% apartment investing, and it's really helping other people do what we did. And then we still buy on our own as well. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So it's a limiting belief to, to believe that multifamily is overbaked and there's no deals out there, Mark? Yeah, it is. I think it's it's probably uh, true in some markets. <laughs> it's pretty difficult in some markets. You know, We were only in Texas for the until about... Little over two years ago, and then we started branching out. We're in five states now, multiple markets, and it was something we looked at. We felt that um, some areas in North Dallas, where we live, getting a little overheated. I'm not saying you can't still do well, but I think when it, you know, when it's cheaper to build a, a new building versus buying a 1970 property, I think there's a problem with that, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about mentorship. You know, I think it often can get a bad rap. The coaching and the mastermind industry in real estate. Yeah. There's a ton of great coaches, and there's a ton of great, you know, real estate educators. What advice would you give to somebody who's looking to get into the game, but they don't know where to start, and then they keep hearing from all these other people with limiting beliefs? Hey, you know, you can't, you shouldn't spend any money on uh, on education. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a valid point because a lot of people have been burned, right? You said a lot. Of, there's a lot of good people out there, and there are a lot of people that are out there that aren't aren't good, frankly. They're, they promise one thing and, and do something else. I would say take it slow. It's a pretty small world once you start asking around, asking about different mentors, but define what you are looking for to mentor. If you if you want the main guy to be mentoring you, which is what I do, um, then that needs to be something you want to do, right? If you say, well, I don't care. It could be a coach and it could be anybody assigned to you. That's a big difference. Um, you're getting either the main guy or a sub coach and things like that. You know, does it allow you to, you know, if you really get down and say, well, how are people being successful? And you look at number of people that go out and try to buy a hundred plus unit property on their own without really any help from somebody else. It's, it's rare. I mean, it's extremely rare that you can pull that off. So you have to look at it and say, well, let's say I spend, you know, X dollars coaching, but I get into, you know, a deal a year earlier or I get into multiple deals. We have people who've done four deals in a year, six deals in a year. These mm-hmm. aren't small deals either. So your payback is extremely fast. But I would say ask around. But take it a little slow before you just jump in and, and make sure you're getting, you know, what what you 
is being advertised to you. Uh, that's probably the best thing. In limiting belief, I was the same thing. I didn't want a, a mentor. I thought, hey, I can do it. I can do it on my own. Why do I need somebody else to do it? And we've had different mentors in different respects, and some have been good, and some haven't been good, frankly. Uh, but end of the day, it will get you there faster. And sometimes it's just in the network, right? It's not just the knowledge. You can go Google and learn probably ninety some percent of everything someone can teach you. It's just reality. Yeah. But if you haven't been through it before. That's the difference. I, I use example of, of a fight, right? A fighter, I like MMA a lot. Someone that reads a book for two years versus someone trains for two years. Pretty confident I know what's going to happen when they get in the ring. You know, it's just, they've been through it before. And uh, you can only get so much head knowledge. End of the day, you have to turn that into to action. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had a big limiting belief on it, frankly. Two and a half years ago, I didn't want to spend any money. I, uh, I ended up like, trading my way into to mentorship and got into a group that is a real big reason why I was able to flip or wholesale over 150 deals in two years. And it's because I was yeah, surrounded amazing. by people <laughs> that were just doing incredible things. And I kept looking at all of these people. A lot of them were people who were running at the same speed I was or at the same place. Some of them were ahead of me and some of them were you know, the people at the front of the room, the coaches. But on each of those cases, I looked at them and I thought, well, if he can do it or if she can do it, I can do it. And so it really gave me the, the ability to do that. It sounds like that's kind of what you're able to do as well. It is. And, you know, for me, you know, I was pretty successful in IT, had my own IT company. And um, my biggest thing, and it caused a lot, of, I had a lot of projects all over the place, caused a lot of problems between uh, my wife, Tamil, and me because I was never, never home, never available to her. So she's like, you need to do something different. But I said, I don't, I'm not going to replace my IT income. Mm-hmm which I was making pretty, doing pretty well. I can't replace my ID income doing multifamily. That was a belief I had. So why even start? Okay, so I can get an extra, you know, whatever, make a number up, an extra 100, 150K a year, whatever it might be, which is still good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not, but I was doing really well in IT and I said, I just, I don't think I can pull it off. So mm-hmm. why start? Yeah. Well, thank goodness that you did because it sounds like, uh, it sounds like you've created quite, an opportunity for yourself and other people. You mentioned something that I think is something a lot of folks deal with, but they don't talk about it as much. You know, frankly, the divorce rate is over 51% in America and people run into challenges. And part of that, from what I've seen, because I've done a lot of research and study on it, because I grew up in a, a, a household with, you know, many different father figures and many different marriages happening. And I learned a lot from it. And one of the things that it motivated me to do is to go out and learn from other people who have marriages that have you know, survived the test of time or ones that are really happy. So I'm curious, when you ran into that wall, when you were having a really tough time with uh, you and uh, your wife, how did you handle that? Like, What did you do that made it possible for you guys to stick through it? Yeah. So you know, I had some warning signs ahead of time like, hey, this isn't working very well. <laughs> like, well, and you know, I, went, I reverted back and said, well, I, I make good money. Uh, I take care of the family. I do stuff with the kids, which I did. I did stuff with the kids on a regular basis. I take them to school, pick them up if I could, take them to sporting things. I did all these things. Like, what more do you want from me? That's my, that was my mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like, well, I want you, right? I mean, I don't get you at all. And so she was to the point, to me, it was the point where she was going to leave. At least it said she was thinking about leaving and that I need to do something different. I could have said, well, it is what it is. Deal with it. Um, but I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. He said, well, okay, we'll start looking at buying larger multifamily because we had already been buying smaller ones. But I said, you're going to have to help me. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, cause I was literally, you know, he said 70, 80 hours. I was, I was 80 plus hours a week, you know, consistently I sleep three hours a night. Mm. And, um, so now, uh, to me, when I got to work hundred percent together full time, you know, we get our kids involved a little bit in the different biz- pieces of the business and things like that as well. Um, so for me, it was a decision that, okay, well, I could either have said, well, this is exactly what my dad did. And my, my mom and dad got separated too. Mm-hmm. Strange enough, they've been separated for, uh, 38 years wow. and never divorced. <laughs> but Catholic family. Kind of, kind of crazy. Yeah, they were growing up. Yeah, exactly. So kind of strange. But um, but that was a mindset thing for me. I need to do something different. I, did, I, I had this, I mean, pit in my stomach that I didn't want my kids to have to go through a, a divorce. I, did, I just, it mm-hmm. made me want to cry. I mean, it was like what they would have to go through and and what that would mean to them and, and how it would impact them. Um, so, you know, we've been married you know, over 24 years, our relationship is as strong as it's ever been. And I'm not just saying that uh, it is. And we got to work full time together. That's incredible. So when the warning signs went off, you didn't put your head in the sand. You listened to them. You thought maybe a couple times, I don't know if this is serious. I'm not going to make a change right away. And then all of a sudden you realized, wow, if I, uh, no matter what, I'm going to make a choice. I'm either going to make a choice to keep doing what I'm doing and keep getting the results yeah. that I'm getting, or I'm going to choose to get some new results. And you know, thank goodness you did. Um, yeah, it seems like that same thought applies to real estate. If you keep getting these warning, uh, when there's a problem, you need to take action on it. When you're dealing with a multifamily syndication deal, there's problems that come up. You know, how do you usually tackle that? From a problem-solving perspective, you know, fortunately, we've been through a lot of different things. We've done probably about thirty-five deals, so we. Wow. Uh, but unique things will come up, and we have some, you know, phenomenal people we surround ourselves with that we've kind of vetted through, and you know, some people we've known for years and years. One of the times with a part with a problem that comes up, I look at who has the most to lose. So lots of times, it's a broker, mm-hmm. right? If the deal doesn't close, the broker doesn't get paid. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, the broker, even though they're working for the seller. They can be a very good advocate for you, and you have developed that relationship. Um, and then other things you need to look at and say, you know, a lot of people freak out about different problems, and people are like, "How are you so calm all the time?" I'm like, I don't. I've been through a lot of different things, and at the end of the day, I look at it: Are we going to close the deal? Is that's number one? If we're going to close the deal, we'll work through every other problem. Now, if we can't close a deal for something, that's that's something different. But we have so many smart people around us. Um, that have been, and we're not uh, not prideful to ask for advice from multiple people to try to get different opinions and things like that. You know, there are a hundred things that can happen on a deal that could kill it. You know, even once a deal is under contract, and uh, you know, the more you see, uh, the faster you can identify the problems. You know, getting quick identifying problems, and you can you can fix problems much much faster if you've been through it. Just like when I did IT, you know, I'd seen so many different things, I was able to do it faster. Same thing with real estate. But it's really surrounding yourself, not being prideful, understanding you're going to need help on different aspects. So you've built out this incredible team, people that you trust, people that you really believe in, and you're not afraid to swallow your pride and say, hey, I'm not the best at this. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you really don't do everything on the deal, Mark. Uh, You really rely on other people and you believe in this model of family syndication where everybody has a part and they all get to contribute to kind of building that home. Could you tell us a little bit about that and and how you look at syndication? Yeah, you know we call it, we call it family syndication. You know our, our whole group was kind of I'm a very transactional person. or used to be you know a CPA, IT guy, and my wife said, well, if we build something, she wants to have this community aspect to it. I'm kind of like, why? 
We're just yeah. we're just doing deals. Let's get the deals done. And uh, but my mindset has changed on that too. So for us, it really came down to developing something that one people want to not just do business together, but they also want to hang out together. You know, we do a cruise. People go on the cruise, and we hang out with families and things like that, and eat dinner together. And I will invite people sometimes, like on a Friday or Saturday night here in Dallas, from our group to go out. So it came down to you know how do we structure something that provides an opportunity for people to feel like home and family, but also for them to get rewarded. I mean, the end of the day, you're spending time on this. You want to make some money. So what's the fastest way somebody can get involved in a deal? And that's where I usually work with people in the group and figure out, okay, this is this is the area I think you could get involved in the fastest, and this is the reason why. And lots of it is based on just the way they're, they're wired, right? If, if someone is good in sales, they're probably going to be good at relationships, mm-hmm. obviously. If someone's good... If someone says says they're engineer and IT or IT, typically they're going to be good at analyzing deals and things like that. And everyone can get a small piece of a of a bigger pie end of the day, and they build their track record. And we have people. I think we had like seventy eight percent of the people get involved in general partnership in less than six months. Yeah, that's pretty. In our group, that's extremely that's high. Incredible. So, and it's because people share in the group. I and mean, when people go to events, and we had a guy who went to our event. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and he took 24 pages of notes and typed them up mm-hmm. and then sent them to everybody in the group. Yeah. Said, here are the notes I took while I was at the event. You know, it's just everyone's sharing. It's, it's, it's actually incredible. Just like a family, share things, even though you don't, they don't look at it like it's taking something away from them. Well, if somebody new comes in here, maybe it's going to take away my opportunities to get deals. They look at it as another opportunity to partner with somebody and bring them into the fold. Yeah. So it's really a, it, the idea behind family syndication is that everyone can play the role. If you're a sales guy, right. you go out and do sales. You go and find deals. You build relationships with brokers. If you're good at relationships, maybe you have access to capital and you can raise private equity and kind of go down that path. Or if you're really analytical, you might be able to underwrite and analyze the deals. Uh, I think that's really smart because I'm a big believer that everybody is the best at a couple things and they should focus right. all of their time and effort and energy into those things. And that's what I've done in my business. And that's a big reason why I've been able to grow and, and succeed in the way that I have. I mean, even with this podcast right now, there's four or five other people who are going to do things as soon as we get off the line. That's because I know at my core, I'm the best at a handful of things. And I'm really not yeah. good at those other things. And I have to rely on other people. And thank goodness that I can let go of the control be able to do that because it's it's made my life so much more fulfilling. Yeah, I think it's a great point because a lot of people look at it and say, "Well, I can't. I have to do a uh, you know a ten unit deal because of my balance sheet. I don't have liquidity. Or I don't know how to you know what. I don't have relationships." Well, end of the day, like you said, get good at one or two things. Get really really good at it, and the other things you could be okay at them. Problem is, people don't start. They think they have to do it all, so they don't start and take any action. So you know, a year or two later, you're still talking to them. They haven't done a deal yet. Well. If they have something to contribute, I'm sure of that. And people who think you have to have money. You don't have to have money to get good at analyzing deals. You don't have to have money to go find deals. Um, you know, those things you can do if you have zero dollars in your bank account, you can still do them. Investor mindset community. Can I please, if you're listening to this right now and you've been thinking about taking action on anything in your life, write it down on a piece of paper and commit to doing one thing right now. Pull over the car, write it down. Pick up the phone, make that call, because all it takes is doing something. If you go and do something, it's going to end up giving you feedback and you're going to be able to go out and 
and uh, and learn from that. And even if it doesn't work out, you call a broker and they tell you, you know, to go pound sand. Well, now you know what not to say, and you can go make that second call. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. So, talk to me about why you think that you've succeeded in an industry that's quite challenging where so many others haven't. Uh, I think it goes back a little bit to adding value. I was able to add value to to other people. I mean, I have people call me pretty much on a daily basis that want to partner on different aspects just because of you know value being added. Um, I think having a, a win-win and everyone's, you know, no one's going to say, Hey, I'm a jerk. Well, reality is there are jerks out there <laughs> and it will become known that you're a jerk in the marketplace. So if you go into an agreement with a seller, you need to abide by the agreement. Mm-hmm. Don't go and start changing terms on them. And if you have an opportunity to screw somebody, no matter who it is, I always tell people don't do it mm-hmm. because end of the day, it'll come around probably um, or people will talk about it and be construed a different way. So you make it win-win for everybody. When we go, we talk to brokers and sellers. I really want our, the goal to be to make it the easiest, smoothest transaction they've ever had before. Mm. Now things come up; they do. But you know, if you're easy to deal with, it doesn't mean you get taken advantage of. You have to still stand your ground. We've had to do that on several occasions, but there's good good reasons for it. But being easy to work with, doing what you say you're going to do and adding value. Those are really the reasons why I think we've been able to be pretty successful. Business values and life values all wrapped up right in one there, Mark. I like that. Uh, So talk to us a little bit about what are some of your keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis you think really make the difference and for you to live a better life. Yeah. So uh, I work out six days a week just because I I like to, and it's, you know, mind, you know, a mental break somewhat. Um, sometimes I'm sitting there going, why am I doing this? But I, I do it and I, I do like it. So that's something I do uh, six days a week and be able to do that consistently. Um, I'm always about trying to get back with people. If you haven't heard from me within, you know, usually a couple hours, frankly, but within a day, then in, they, it went to junk. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to wait more than a day response from me. And probably not going to wait more than a couple hours getting a response back from me. So I always try to give uh, quick responses to people. The response could be, I'm going to get back with you. But at least that way they know I've seen it and things like that. So I've always done that. I always get through all my emails in a, in a day. I don't, I just always have. Um, and then making myself available as much as possible to people. In other habits, you know, I don't have as many, like, if you want to say rituals or things like that, that I do. Um, but I do... Uh, uh, I do want, want to have an opportunity to take breaks here and there, um, which doesn't always happen, but I have to sometimes just shut it down and say, okay, it's, you know, X is whatever. Later at night, I'm going to shut it down and, and veg for, you know, 30 minutes, which doesn't happen all the time. And I don't want it to all the time, frankly. But really having the consistency with something you do, like for me working out and being responsive to people and always trying to get through my my list um, a lot of people say always work on the highest priority things first, which I do know why people say that. But the way my mind works, if I have 20 things to do and it's going to take me you know, a couple minutes to do different tasks, I get them done because it allows me to focus more on those more mm-hmm. important tasks other than rather than thinking I have 20 things I need to do. Well, I can knock out probably 15 of them within 30 minutes and just be done with them. That's great. Um, so some people probably disagree with that, but that, I, that's the way I yeah, work. That's great. It's almost like you chunked all of those 15 into one task and you said, Hey, let me go knock out all the easy stuff. That's right. That's right. That's, that's really good. I like that. So there's a million different ways to do real estate. Why multifamily? So we looked at 
a bunch of things, you know, self-storage and assisted living and mobile homes. And I like all those asset classes. I invest passively. I've invested in hotels, invested in mobile, um, mobile home parks. But at the end of the day, if I look at uh, multifamily versus, let's say, self-storage or things like that, you know, reality is you don't have to have a storage place. And a lot of people do because they have the money to pay for it. But if things got really, really bad, I look at it and say, well, people could get rid of their stuff in self-storage or bring it back to their house. Same with assisted living. You could bring your parents or whoever it is, you know, into your own house if you had to. So it just, it's really just a necessity. Um, there's so many other things like retail and things like that, which I think is, you know, has done well and will continue to do well, but you don't have to have stores. I mean, look at, look, you know, Amazon. I mean, they need warehouses, which they use, but you don't have to have retail fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, you can ship stuff around from a warehouse to directly to customers. We get, we get about three deliveries a day here at our, at our house. It seems like, yeah. um, you know, so it makes a lot of sense. It really it, number one, yeah, number one uh, shelter, right? For people, yeah, it's the it's the one place that in real estate world that people have to have. They have to have a place to live, right? Like that. So we're at the near the end of the show here, the growth fire round, which are some questions that I'll ask rapidly, but I don't expect rapid answers. First of which is. What's a book that's impacted your life the most or one that you're really excited about right now? Um, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I know that's a default for people, but that really did change my mindset more than anything. And I don't read books as much as a lot of people do or probably think that I do, but I research a lot. So uh, books sometimes to me, just the way my mindset is, you know, a 200-page book can be usually written in 15 pages. I don't need to know all the other stuff. That's just the way my mind works. People say, I want the story. I, want the, I don't. I just, want the, I just want the facts, right? So I research a lot. So I, uh, researching could include different pieces of books or you know, just Googling and different articles. So I usually pick a topic and I'll research the heck out of that topic. That's more what I do. I like that. You might want to check out Blinkist. I'm not getting any promo for that. But oh, I've heard of it. I have, yeah. I have heard really good things about it. And it's you know, pretty yeah. much the whole book in 15 minutes, which is, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I've heard of that. And I, I do need to like do that. that. would fit you well. <laughs> Purpose-wise, why do you do what you do, Mark? Uh, really for the kids. I mean, end of the day, I wanted to have, uh, for them to be financially, you know, set, if you want to say, but to be able to carry on the wealth and build it much more than I've been able to build it for generation and generation. I want to change I mean, my, my dad grew up with, you know, a bunch of kids, 13 kids originally, and, you know, our families around, no one had any money. I mean, I'm, I want to break that, and I want to teach people, including our kids, that you don't have to work for somebody. It's okay mm-hmm. if you choose to. That's fine. Some people should mm-hmm. work for other people, but you don't have to. You have other options. Do you think you've made it there, Mark? You know, I don't usually like to say, I think from a, from a, what our kids has have experienced, um, that their mindsets are completely different now than they would have been if I was doing IT, like drastically different. And so that's super exciting. That's awesome. There's always there's always more to grow and more to reach for. So it, it's kind of like yes, you never is. really get there. It's kind of the journey of keep moving the goalpost a little farther. But from an inspiration perspective, right. who are some of your mentors and how do they influence you in your career? You know, um, I had a... A commercial broker when I was 22 in my hometown, he was a, a, a friend's father. And he just kind of, um, I was small, small town, but this guy was just worked like hustle. 
he got like all you know Walmart to come to our town, and he just did like amazing things. And that's who we started buying our properties from originally. So he had a huge impact. He was just easy to work with. Um, everyone in town knew him. Uh, that's one. Uh, Kyle Wilson is some people don't know who he is, but he was an 18 year business partner with Jim Rohn. Uh, he helped me a lot on not real estate necessarily, but more on the the mindset and different aspects of the mindset, more from a personal development side. So something I would have ignored before, but um, you know, uh, love the guy and he's he's been a great influence. Yeah, Kyle Wilson's got a big heart. He's definitely a smart guy. He built. Jim Rohn's company. And you can go check out kylewilson.com if you want to learn a little bit more about him. And so finally, in closing, what what drives you to live your best life every day, Mark? Uh, my wife, Tamil, and kids. And then now it's it's really people in the group really trying to do whatever I can possibly to help them become successful and for them to be able to change their generational tree, if you want to say, as far as from a financial perspective and allowing them to get out of the corporate world if they choose to do that. That's really cool. Really shooting for that fulfillment piece now that you've 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 made it to a certain level. I love that. Uh, so where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Uh, email address is mark, M-A-R-K, at thinkmultifamily.com. Probably the best way. Definitely. Well, if you guys are thinking about going down the multifamily path or just just curious, I would definitely check out Mark's group and and his events that he has. Incredible giver. And uh, thank you so much for being here with us today, Mark. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.